So you may be wondering, how come Aaron's holding a chicken? Specifically, hey, hey, if you're a Moana fan. Uh, typically, we do volunteer of the week before our uh, worship service, and this morning we did communion with the kids' volunteers, and praise team had a couple extra things to go over. And so now I need to awkwardly sit this down so that you don't uh, get distracted by this. So, goodness, as we say every week at Living Hope, we make it up as we go. But I'm so thankful that you chose to worship with us this morning. I encourage you, if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you'll open up to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, as we look at the Palm, Palm Sunday event and Easter week, Holy Week, um, I was reminded this morning, and I want to read this to you, uh, I was reminded this morning that sometimes we can approach these passages of Scripture that are very familiar. Next week, as we look at the Easter story, this week looking at Palm Sunday, sometimes when we look at Good Friday, and we can think to ourselves, like, I- I've heard that before. There's nothing new there that I need to hear. Um, but as I was driving to church this morning and just praying for our time in the Scriptures, um, I was reminded of a song that I, I heard sang as a child. And some of you, maybe this will be familiar to you as well. I'm not going to sing it to you. I know I got my Backstreet Boys mic on. Um, but I'm not going to sing this to you. But I want to read the chorus to you this morning. And it, it just reminded my heart of the necessity of revisiting the familiar in Scriptures. And it's, it's the song, you've probably heard this before, called Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And the chorus just always, it just felt like the Lord kind of just reminded me of this chorus, and it simply says this, tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, the sweetest that was ever heard. I never want to get over the story of Jesus in the gospel. And I hope that just reminds your heart of that this morning, today. If you want to stand with me in honor of reading the scriptures, we're going to be in Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21, a passage that we, revi- we revisit each year. Matthew 21, we're going to read verses 8 and 9, but we're actually going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 today. And God's word says this, A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road, and others were cutting branches from, from the trees and were spreading them on the road. Verse 9, Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted these words, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray this morning that as we revisit this familiar story to to some of us, maybe this will be brand new for others, but the story of Palm Sunday, Lord, the, the start of the Holy Week events, God, would you remind us of these familiar things, Lord, but also remind our hearts that these things took place so that ultimately, Lord, you could go to a cross for our sake and for your glory. God, to die as a substitution for our sin, Lord, so that you would receive our praise and glory for all of eternity. May we never be a people that get over the gospel. So, God, give us open ears to hear from you this morning. God, would you give us soft hearts, Lord, not just to hear, but to be those people that, Lord, receive your word. And then, God, we pray for obedient hands and feet as we walk these truths out in our, the rest of our week as we journey with Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, each Palm Sunday, as we said just a second ago, we specifically the past few years have revisited this passage in Matthew 21. And every year I ask us the same question because I think it's an important question to ask specifically on this day. There's a lot of important questions that each of us are challenged with throughout our lives that we have to ask, we have to consider. Here's just a few that I wrote down. We have to ask ourselves where we're going to live who we're going to marry, 
Where will we work? Where will we go on vacation? What car will we buy? Someday, where, where and when will we retire? The list goes on and on and on of all of these questions, but there's one question that every human being must answer for themselves that stands over every one of those questions, and I believe it's the most important question that you will ever have to answer, and that me personally, I will ever have to answer, and the question is this, three simple words, who is Jesus? The most important question we could ever ask And that we ever need to answer is that simple question, who is Jesus? Now listen to me this morning, and when we think of that question, we're going to answer it together today. The question is not, who is Jesus to me? Doesn't matter. The question is not, who did my parents or my grandparents believe Jesus to be? Doesn't matter. The question isn't, who do my friends or my coworkers believe that Jesus is? The question we have to address today is who is Jesus, and specifically, and this is where the rubber meets the road, who's the Jesus of the Bible? We have to get that question right because that question informs every other decision, every other question that we ask throughout the rest of our lives. Now, there's many answers that people may give to that question, who is Jesus? I've heard these before. Some will simply say that Jesus was a good person. Jesus lived a good life. Jesus did good things. We visited uh, in our church with mission teams and some of you, some other um, faith groups in their places of worship just to develop friendships and build bridges so that we can have gospel conversations. You'll often hear this when they talk of Jesus. Well, Jesus was, he was a really good person. He did a lot of good things. We respect him highly. That's not what the Bible says about Jesus. Some will tell you that Jesus was simply a good teacher. His lessons revolutionized the world, and they still do to this day. Love your neighbor as you love yourself is quoted by so many people from various backgrounds, but that's not enough. Some will simply say, well, Jesus, I watched some videos this week of people saying this, was a liar. He he was simply a lunatic going after a blind cause who died for a cause that was worthless, and his followers are just brainwashed masses following some empty religion. What about you? When you think of that simple question, who is Jesus, how do you answer that? Because it makes all the difference. And in our text here in Matthew 21, I want to show us three things at the very end of it that we're going to find out that answer the question, who is Jesus? I think this is one of the places in scriptures that gives us one of the clearest answers to that. And so what we're going to do this morning, this is kind of interesting, um, typically I have bullet points that you're gonna like walk through. I have no bullet points today. We're just gonna walk through Matthew 21 today. I made the joke with Joe. I could make the joke that this, this message has no point, but that might not be funny. I, I'm on it with the jokes today, Joe. We need somebody up here with the drum just touting these things off, goodness. Well, Matthew chapter 21, our passage today, sets in motion what's known as Holy Week in the Christian tradition. Today being Palm Sunday. And depending on your upbringing, some of these days over the next seven days may be familiar to you. Um, I grew up in a Baptist background, and so we really only talked about Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Some of you maybe grew up in more of a Lutheran, Catholic, or maybe even a Methodist background, where some of these days are more familiar to you. But let me just walk through the Holy Week calendar real fast, and then we're going to look at Matthew 21 together. So today, Palm Sunday in Christian tradition, is where Jesus officially goes public with his ministry in what's known as the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You've probably seen the, the pictures before of the people with the palm branches, and they're laying those in the road as Jesus enters the city. 
Tomorrow, Monday in Matthew chapter 21, if you want to read about it this week, is known as Holy Monday. It's where Jesus goes into the temple and he cleanses it of the money changers. Tuesday is what's known as Holy Tuesday, where Jesus has some encounters with some of the religious leaders of the day. Wednesday in the Christian tradition, so just a few days from now, in Matthew 26 is what's known as Spy Wednesday. This is where Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, conspired with the religious leaders to betray him for some pieces of silver and have Jesus killed. Thursday is what's known, and this again, depending on your background, you're familiar with this, is what's known as Monday Thursday, Matthew 26, 17 through 35. That's where Jesus observed his last supper with those 12 disciples. Fun little fact, I didn't know this until this week, that word Monday, so we get that phrase Monday Thursday, is actually from the Latin, which means a new commandment. If you remember Jesus at the Last Supper, what does he tell the disciples? A new commandment I give you. That's where we get that name from. Friday, which we celebrate this coming Friday, five days from now, Matthew 26 and 27, is known as Good Friday, where we see the physical death of Jesus take place on the cross, and he's laid lifeless, his lifeless body placed in a tomb. You ever thought to yourself, why do we call that good? <laughs> Seems like bad to me. It's the reminder for us each Easter season that if it wasn't for the death of Jesus, we would never have life. You've heard that me use that phrase before. Um, if Jesus didn't die the death I couldn't die, I could never have the life that he offers me. Jesus had to die. There had to be death for the wrath of God to be uh, sufficed and to be paid. Saturday, six days from now in Christian tradition, is no, what's known as Silent Saturday. Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66 where Jesus' body was left in that tomb. By the way, the tomb was borrowed. We're going to talk about that in a second. And in the gospel account, it seemed like death had won. It was the Sabbath for the Jews. But how could their savior king lay lifeless in a Roman tomb? It didn't make sense. It seemed like God had been defeated. But next Sunday is the day that everything changes, right? Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Matthew 28, where death, hell, and the grave, we see no longer hold any power over Jesus. If you've never been to church on Easter Sunday, we're about to throw a holy fit next week. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to celebrate with pancakes and sausage too, by the way, because that's what Jesus would want. So we're going to do it. He probably would. I can't confirm that, but he probably would. But right now, it's, it's Palm Sunday. Jesus in Matthew 21, where our, our passage picks up, is journeying from a place called Jericho to a city called Jerusalem. It's a 17-mile journey he's going to embark on to set in motion those events of Holy Week that we just walked through in the Christian calendar. Ultimately, to culminate the reason he came. What did Jesus say? The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus came to die to restore the relationship that we now can have with God. But in Matthew chapter 21, Passover week has started in the Jewish culture and Jewish tradition. If you have a Bible, flip a few pages over to John chapter 11 with me. I want to show you another verse. So we see this triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday, um, spread out across the Gospels. And we're going to jump around to a few of these today. So Passover has started. John chapter 11, verse 55. It'll be behind me as well. It says, Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. What is Passover? It's a time when Jews from all over the Roman Empire would gather to remember, reflect, and celebrate on Israel's release from Egyptian slavery and bondage. If you remember in the book of Exodus, when God sent the angel of death 
What did the Jews have to do? They had to take the blood of an innocent, spotless lamb. They had to put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, on the top, and on the side posts as well. So when the angel of death came, those who had the blood on their door would not be harmed or would not be killed by that angel. God spared their lives. And so now what they do in Passover is they're looking back on that moment. They're looking back on God's faithfulness to save them. But what the Jews didn't know is that Jesus, who was about to enter, was the true spotless lamb who would ultimately forgive us of our sins. So what was our question? Who is Jesus? Let's look at verse 1. It says, when they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples. And so he's journeying to Jerusalem. He stops just outside of this city called Bethphage. So he's about two miles away from Jerusalem at this point, And he sends two disciples ahead of him with a very specific task. Verse number two of Matthew 21. So he tells his disciples, go into the village ahead of you. And at once you're going to find a donkey tied there with her colt. I want you to untie them and bring them to me. So in just a couple sentences, what's Jesus doing here? He's, he's really giving them some very specific instructions, but I want us to see how specific this is and then see what happens. So the first thing he tells them to do, and you can underline these in your Bible if you've got a hard copy, it's what I did in mine. Um, first he says, go to Bethphage. That's the, the village ahead of you. At once, so right when you arrive at that city and you walk into the gate of the village, what are you gonna do? You're gonna find a donkey. Not only a donkey, but you're going to find a donkey with a colt tied to her. Side note there, Jesus is very specific for these guys on the gender of that donkey. All these instructions are very specific. You're going to take that donkey and that colt. You're going to untie them. Then you're going to take, this is, so we're at the sixth thing he's telling them to do right now. You're going to bring them to me. Six things he's told them so far. If all of those things came to pass, I'd say that's enough for Jesus to prove his divinity and who he was as the Messiah and Savior of the world. But verse 3, he keeps going. Look at this. If anyone says anything to you, you think, right? walking into the city stealing a donkey, say that the Lord needs them and then he'll send them at once. So what's Jesus tell them? You're going to arrive into Bethphage. You're going to find this donkey. You're going to find the colt. I want you to untie them. I want you to take them. Somebody's going to say something to you. Why? Because you're taking their animals. On the same page there, I, I gave this illustration last year. It's the modern-day equivalent of if you and I were to drive over to Dublin and we stop at Walmart, and I were to tell you, pretend I'm Jesus, on the left side of the lot, there's going to be a red Toyota Corolla with a Jesus fish sticker on the back. I want you to pull up next to it. I want you to get in it, turn it on, and drive it away. And if anybody stops you, tell them, Aaron said you could, You'll return it eventually. I mean, we put it in modern vernacular, and it's kind of like, well, shoot. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be one of these two disciples he sent ahead in this thing. I mean, you're stealing somebody's transportation. Somebody's going to say something. <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything. Um, so Thursday night, or Sunday night, Liz and I went shopping. I'm not going to tell you where because you'll judge me. It was Target. Um, <laughs> we went to Target, and we were leaving. We didn't buy anything, so don't worry. Um, we, we were leaving, and there was this car, and it was literally the identical car that we own, and we were both, we were just talking, having a good time. It was a date night for us, and we're both, like, sitting there, like, pulling on the handle of this car, and we're like, why will this thing not open? And I looked at her. I said, whose stuff is in our car? And it was, because it wasn't our car. So we almost, they almost lived this out. Anyways, say the Lord needs it. I think it's pretty amazing 
that these guys could go into this city with these very specific instructions from Jesus. Again, Jesus in total gave them seven very specific things about this simple task of getting the donkey and the colt. And they go and do it, and it happens exactly as Jesus said it would. Why? Because Jesus is showing them, and he's showing us even now, 2,000 years later in the scriptures, that he's in control of everything, even the minute details of life. From even just going to get a little donkey and bringing it back so he could ride that thing into Jerusalem. God is a God of details. I love that there when I think of this passage. So now, look down at Matthew 21, verses 4 and 5. Not only was this specific in what Jesus told them was going to happen, it was also a fulfillment of prophecy. Look at verse 4. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, it's Israel, See, your king is coming to you, gentle, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So Matthew is showing us here what Jesus is doing is a fulfillment, first off, of Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11. I would write that near verse 4 and 5 in Matthew 21. Isaiah 62, verse 11, and also a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Here's what's wild to me about that. Isaiah was actually written 700 years before this event took place. Zechariah was written 500 years before this event took place. Let me put that in context for us, like as to how much time has passed since the prophecy was written and Jesus actually fulfilled the prophecy. America, this year, we turned 246 years old. That means that Isaiah's prophecy was written three times as long as America's been alive before this event. Zechariah's prophecy was written twice as long as America's been alive before this event took place. And what does Jesus do? He comes in and does it exactly as the prophets said. You know in the Old Testament that there's, uh, I think it's like 300 prophecies that were made about Jesus. You know how many of them he fulfilled perfectly? 300. (laughs) I mean, you have a better chance of leaving church today and getting bit by a shark we live in Ohio, if you didn't realize that, um, than Jesus did of, in fulfilling all 300 of these prophecies about himself. I mean, it is insane. If you can do the research on this, on this, the, the mathematical intricacies of this and the chances of Jesus actually pulling this off are so slim. But how does he do it? Because he's God in the flesh. He's the savior that mankind has been waiting on since Genesis 3. But watch this, man, things get so cool. I love this passage of scripture, Palm Sunday. I don't want us to miss this. Why this donkey? Jesus didn't tell them to just go into Bethphage and get any donkey. That's what he could have said. But he gave them a very specific donkey. Why? Luke chapter 19. Flip over in your Bible to the right. Luke chapter 19. Luke telling the same Palm Sunday story. I love this so much. Luke chapter 19 He's given these instructions to the disciples here in Luke, and here's what he says. Go into the village ahead of you, that's Bethphage, and as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied there. Watch this. If you're at Luke 19 and you have a hard copy of the Bible, I want you to underline this. You will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Underline that. On which no one has ever sat. Jesus said, untie it and bring it to me. There's an important truth here that Matthew doesn't give us, but Luke does. Who was the first person that was ever going to sit on the donkey that was brought to Jesus? 
Jesus. You say, Aaron, why is that significant? Why does that matter in this scenario? Why is that an important thing? Throughout the Old Testament, I'll give you an example here in just a second. We see examples after example after example of animals that had never been used in any capacity before that were first used for God's sacred purpose. Just like this donkey. For example here, 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, Ark of the Covenant. When it was going to be pulled, what did they use? 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7 says that they used two cows who were unbroken. They hadn't been yoked before. They'd never been used for any other purpose, and the first purpose they were ever used for was God's sacred purpose in pulling the Ark of the Covenant. Here's why. Because throughout the Old Testament, here's what we see. If an animal had been used for ordinary purpose before, it couldn't be used for God's purpose now. It had to be an unbroken animal to be used in God's kind of holy things that were occurring. This is so important. Why does this matter in this text? Because what was Jesus about to do? He was about to ride into Jerusalem on an unbroken donkey, a donkey that had never been used for any purpose before, unbroken, to show humanity, to show the Jews that he was committing one of the most sacred acts of all. What? Dying for the sins of mankind, being the spotless lamb that we needed as the sacrifice for our sin. It's little details. Little details that we could skip over, but Luke reminds us this was an unbridled donkey, an unbroken donkey. Matthew 21, flip back there, verses 6 and 7. So the disciples went, and they did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and then they laid their clothes on them, and, and here it is, sacred purpose, what Jesus do? He sat on them. He sat on the donkey. Again, God's coming through. He's doing exactly what he said he would do. We say this all the time here at Living Hope. God is a promise keeper. If he said it, it's going to come to pass. He can be trusted as an anchor. If God said it, we can put our, our, our stake in it. It's going to come to pass. Verse 8. So a very large crowd, they spread their clothes on the road. Others cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. What was the crowd doing? They were spreading two things all over the dirt road. Their, their cloaks, their outer cloaks, their outer garments, and then also cutting these palm branches, likely, and, and placing them on the road. Why were they doing that? There's two reasons. Man, if this stuff doesn't, this gets me fired up about Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm sometimes driving in my car, and I'm just thinking of this stuff, and I'm like, God, is, this is incredible. Two things are going on here. First... By laying down their cloaks, they're showing that Jesus was the Savior King that they were looking for. I'm going to prove that to you in just a second. Second, by laying down palm branches, they're showing that Jesus is the eternal King that deserves our worship and glory forever. I'm going to prove both of you. First off, how do we know that they were saying that Jesus was the King that they were looking for? Book of 2 Kings. You can flip to the Old Testament. I'll have them up on the screen if you don't want to do that. 2 Kings chapter 9. A gentleman named Jehu was being confirmed as king. And look at what happens when they're confirming him as king. So Jehu said, he talked to me about this and that and said, this is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel and each man, I love this, he's getting confirmed as king. And what do they do? Each man quickly took his outer garment, all right? So they got that outer cloak. It's like their, their puffy vest that a lot of the guys wear here in the wintertime. They're taking their puffy vests. They're putting them under the bare steps, and they blew the ram's horn, and they proclaimed what? Jehu is king. Why did they do it? Because in that culture, it was symbolic. You laid those things down so that as the king walked through, he didn't walk through on the dirt. He walked through on those outer cloaks. So when this crowd sees Jesus coming, 
the king that Israel had waited for. He was going to change things. He was going to save their people. What do they do? Here's our cloaks, Lord. You're the savior king we've been waiting on. Aaron fired up. Pastor Joe, clear spot. Second, the branches. This is so cool. When I think of the palm branches, I just think of like little kids growing up in church, and they'd come in with their palm branches, waving around, screaming, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What's going on here? In ancient times, often these palm branches were representative of kings who were going to bring goodness and victory to their people. Now, this is so cool. This is why it's prophetic. Revelation 7. This is why here in Matthew 21, we see this pointing all the way forward to eternity that Jesus is the Savior King who is deserving of our worship forever. Look at this, Revelation chapter 7. John says, after I looked, there was a vast multitude from every nation, from every tribe, every people, and language, on which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's a good reminder for us, too, as the church, that someday, even when we fail in our evangelism, God never fails, because it says there's going to be a multitude that people can't even count before the throne, worshiping Jesus forever. We still got to be obedient, but let's make sure we don't place it all on us and let God do his work of salvation. That was a side note. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes. What's in their hands? It's participatory. Palm branches. This is eternity. Like, this hasn't even happened yet. We just read about it because God pulled back the curtain so we could see in the future a little bit. And you got all these people. In the future, before the throne of God, clothed in white robes, symbolic that our sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And what's in their hands? Palm branches. What are they crying out? Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the the lamb, the spotless lamb, that was a sacrifice for our sins. Why did this group of people, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, why did they have these branches? It's prophetic. He's going to bring victory over sin. We don't fully understand. He's going to. It's God fulfilling promises. Verse 20, or chapter 21, verse 9 of Matthew. So the crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed, they shouted. I, I mention this every year because, again, sometimes we think triumphal entry. And I don't know where your mind goes, but I go to um, cheesy YouTube videos and church dramas. And I picture Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and there's like 43 people there Right, and so you got twenty cloaks on the ground and a few people with some palm branches. This was a really, really big deal. Let me give you a few examples here, because all the gospels they're talking about this. Luke chapter nineteen, verse thirty-seven. So Jesus came near the path, down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for the miracles that they've seen. You keep going in Luke, we see the triumphal entry take place. We know based on Acts chapter one that the crowd of the disciples. At the end of Jesus' ministry, numbered approximately 120 people. So there's at least 120 people right now that are in Jerusalem awaiting Jesus' arrival, Palm Sunday triumphal entry. John chapter 11, verse 19, said that many Jews, we don't know how many that is, had come to comfort Mary and Martha after the death of a man named Lazarus. Now, you fast forward to John chapter 12, verse 9. It says that another crowd of people had showed up after Jesus resurrected Lazarus. So you got the 120 people, track with me here, you got the many people that showed up to the funeral, then you got the more people that showed up because they heard the man that was dead was no longer dead. We tracking here? 120 disciples, those that came to the funeral, 
those that came for the meal after the funeral, right? You know who those people are. They're the funeral crashers, right? So we got three groups so far. Then, watch this, John chapter 12, verse 12 says that all those people migrated two miles to Jerusalem for what? For the Passover festival, which is going on on Palm Sunday. Let me show you, John 12, verse 12. Next day, large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Here's why I say all this. Palm Sunday was a pretty big deal. There's a whole lot of people there. There's a whole lot of people that met Jesus there. I, I, I just always think about this every year. Um, if there was only like 40 people that showed up for this entrance of Jesus, I don't think the city would be in a bit of a ruckus because Jesus showed up. Like I've never been somewhere, 10 people walk into the room and you're like, oh man, that's a big crowd of people that just came in. <laughs> It doesn't happen that way. Like there's a lot of people that are screaming these, these things, these praises about Jesus. And look at what they say, verse 9 of Matthew 21, and we'll begin to close here. So the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed, that's our three different groups of people. Here's what they're shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. That's important. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's important. Hosanna in the highest heaven. What do the crowds say? Blessed is the king. We see that also in Luke chapter 19. Hosanna to the son of David. And peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest heaven. We see again in Luke 19 and here in Matthew 21. Why are those significance? And I'll, I'll close with these. First, one of the things they're doing is they're quoting another prophecy. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Psalm 118 verse 16. Verse 26. It's a prophetic psalm written by David about Jesus. Written 1,000 years. Four times as long as America's been alive. They're, they're quoting that here about Jesus. And what are, what are they saying? They're, he's fulfilling prophecy. This is the Savior that God promised us. He's, he's coming. Second, they're shouting the word Hosanna. We see that twice in Matthew 21. What does that mean? We just sang it a few minutes ago. What does the word Hosanna mean? God save us. God save us. God save us is what they're crying out. They also cry out these words, Jesus the son of David. Look at that there, Hosanna, the son of David. Why does that matter? Second Samuel chapter seven, God promised King David thousands of years before Jesus ever came on the scene that through his lineage, that the, the savior that Israel needed would come, that through David's ancestry, the savior would come. Matthew chapter one, verse six, when Matthew gives the genealogy of Jesus, who do we see in verse six? David. And through David's line, Jesus. So you know what they're doing when they're crying out, son of David, son of David? They're saying again, God's kept his promise to us. God save us because we know you're keeping your promise to us. What's the very last phrase? He says it right there. He says, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I want you to turn with me real quick to, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Because Jesus came to forgive us of our sins, we now have peace with God. And then think about this, Luke chapter 2, birth of Jesus, angels on the scene. We're not going to go into depth here. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to people that he favors. 
You see, God not only said to David in 2 Samuel 7, but he promised through the angels in Luke chapter 2, and now he's fulfilling in Matthew chapter 21 that he is coming to bring the peace that he's promised, the peace that would ultimately come by Jesus dying on a cross in our place. God is a promise keeper. So the closing question is this, who's Jesus? Is he a good teacher? No, he's a lot more than that. Was he a good person? He's so much more than that. Was he a liar? I've never seen, as I heard one pastor say one time, I've never seen somebody predict their own death and then pull it off. So I don't think that's true. So who is he? God in the flesh. Savior we need. Lord that we're supposed to give our lives to. And so the simple question we have to ask every Palm Sunday, what good is Easter Sunday if you've never surrendered to the Jesus of Palm Sunday? Because if you come to next week and you've never given your life over to Jesus and and allowed him to be Lord of your life, Easter Sunday is just another holiday scattered with a really large bunny and a lot of eggs, which is real strange. (laughs) It's real strange. But when we understand the Jesus of Palm Sunday, the Jesus of Good Friday, then the Jesus of Easter Sunday makes a whole lot of sense. We're a people with hope next Sunday because of these events in Holy Week. Every week, do you know Jesus? Like, do you know the Jesus of the Bible, the one who can forgive your sins and invite you to surrender your life to him? We're going to transition now. I think it would be, we've talked about this, it would be appropriate to close out this week in preparation for Holy Week and the events of this week as we prepare for Easter by partaking in the Lord's Supper. Um, The Lord's Supper, this opportunity to remember what Jesus is going to do on Good Friday. And so first off, if you came in today, hopefully you got one of these little cups. Um, If you didn't, Scott, if you want to make your way back there, if you didn't get one of these, just slip your hand up quick, and Scott will give you one of these. Um, He'll have that bin if you didn't get one of these. But I'm going to pray for us, and then my friend Andy is going to come, and he's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper this morning. One of the things we're passionate about at Living Hope, and I hope you've realized this these last couple years, um, is training up new voices in our church that can teach the scriptures um, and invest into our church. And so that's why we've asked Andy to lead us today in this. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. And God, I thank you, Lord, for this message of Palm Sunday. And Lord, you're a promise keeper. Lord, you've done exactly what you said you would do. And God, I pray that each one of us today knows the Jesus of Palm Sunday, that we know the Jesus of Good Friday, and that ultimately we know the Jesus of Easter Sunday. Because, Lord, if it wasn't for your death and your resurrection, as Paul says, we are a hopeless people with no purpose. And so, God, I pray now as we reflect on that, that your spirit would be among us, that you'd speak to us clearly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.